A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the Lore of Us podcast. We're the lore hounds, your guides to a fungal apocalypse. I'm John. And I'm David. And this is our coverage of the HBO original series, The Last of Us. In this episode, we'll be doing a scene-by-scene breakdown of Season 1, Episode 1, When You're Lost in the Darkness. A reminder, you can send us feedback to T-L-O-U at thelorehounds.com, or you could leave us a voicemail that we can play on air the next episode. Check us out at thelorehounds.com slash contact. If you want to keep talking The Last of Us with us, join us over on the Bald Move Discord. Link is in the show notes and at baldmove.com. We have a well-moderated server and a dedicated thread set up for each episode of The Last of Us. They are all siloed, so you can join the conversations at any time without fear of spoilers. And a quick reminder about our Patreon. If you like what we're doing and you would like to support us directly, Check us out at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. For just $3 a month, you get ad-free versions of every podcast we have. You get early access and more. And all your support really helps us make more podcasts. Of course, you can get our ad-supported podcast on our Lorehounds feed by searching for us on your podcast application of choice or by using our fancy new subscription tool at thelorehounds.com. So, David, you are the new one to The Last of Us. Yes. In fact, why don't we start off with what our backgrounds are with this franchise. Well, that's a good idea, because um, this is our first episode of coverage for this show. Yes, it is. All right. So what is your background with The Last of Us? Zero. <laughs> Absolutely right. zero. I am aware that there is something in the world, a game called The Last of Us. And I know that um, Jim and Aaron, our podcast daddies over at Bald Move, have done some playthroughs and uh, some of their coverage and stuff. I understand that it's a popular thing. And then I guess, you know, from what you personally have told me, it's one of your all-time favorites. It is. It is. But outside of that, I know Zip Zero Nada. I mean, uh, you, you can intuit some things from just what I've picked up in the, the milieu about, you know, Joel and Ellie and, uh, you know, the fact that she's like, you know, it's, the promised child. It's a, you know, there's a variation of a theme there, right? The, yep. I don't yep. know if you've ever seen the Omega Man with Charlton no. Heston. Oh, man. Classic. Maybe, um, hopefully, maybe, uh, Maester Anthony and, um, oh, what's his friend, uh, Steve Osborne. Um, they have a podcast called, um, Cocoons of Horror, 
Maybe I can convince them to cover Omega Man sometime. That is a great late 60s, early 70s. I can't remember the year where Charlton Heston is um, a guy who's uh, he, he's able to inject a serum in himself that prevents him from turning into zombies. And that's actually a whole story based on uh, that movie is based on a short story called I Am Legend. And I don't remember ah. the author. Which was then, of course, Will Smith turned that into a movie, and that's a whole other thing. Right. Um, but I won't spoil the book. It's a short story. It's really great, and it's a great twist. And what the the phrase "I am legend" means is not what you think it means until you get to the end of that story. It's it's really awesome. So you know, post apocalyptic fungal zombie stuff, right? It's it's all there. But other than that, I I don't have any direct experience with the franchise. Nice. Well, I think that will be a unique perspective because I know Jim and Aaron have both played the game, so they have full spoilers. Yeah. I have full spoilers, but you don't. So I think that it's going to be really interesting to follow where you're at with the show as we go on. For sure. For sure. Uh, so as you alluded to, I have played the game several times. I recently played it again in preparation for the series. Uh, uh -huh. I played the remake. How many versions are there? Um, there's... Three, but okay. the, the first two, the first one was in 2013. That's the original PlayStation 3 version. Then they did a remaster for the PlayStation 4 like a couple years later. Um, so it's basically just updated graphics with that. This one, they actually redid the combat system and they they like remade all the graphics. It was really good. Um, it is expensive for a 10 year old game. It's 70 bucks. Wow. 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 I rented it because I was like, I'm not I'm not buying it as a new game. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I will say this. If you've never played it, it is worth every penny of the $70. It nice. is it is so good. They did a really great job with it. It is one of my favorite games of all time. It, it is probably the best story game I've ever played. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was so excited to hear they were adapting it. I was also nervous because of video game adaptations and their history. But when I heard that the, the creative director of the game, Neil Druckmann, was joining the showrunner team, I was much more confident in this series. And I'm glad yes. I kept my hype level high because it lived up and exceeded my expectations. Great. So what were your overall impressions of this episode? First off, I just felt like it was a really well-constructed episode of television. Regardless that it's a video game adaptation, regardless of its nostalgia value in um, you know current modern culture, Outside of all of those considerations, just as an episode of television, I thought it was extraordinarily well, eh, extraordinarily might be a little bit hyperbole, but it was just an extremely well-constructed episode of television, especially for a pilot. Like we're introducing a whole new world, a whole new cast of characters. And so I found the episode very informationally dense, right? There was a lot that we were given. We under I understand now what the world was and what the world is. I understand how the world works. I get a lot of nice little details that I know are going to play out in the future, like the watch. Like there was a great scene, great, you know, or, or just a couple of things that stick out of my mind about the watch is like when Joel is sitting at the kitchen table and he goes to like, look what time it is and he doesn't have a watch. And then right. his, da his daughter, Sarah, goes and you know, gets it repaired. And then later in the post-apocalyptic scene, like we see a, uh, they give us a shot of the watch as it's and it's all busted up. 
So really great through lines uh, across the time jumps um, and, and well integrated in the storyline. So I, I felt the quality of that. Yeah. Things like the fungus mycelium coming out of the mouths, uh, like that seems to be accurate scientifically to, to, to a science fiction show. They um, added that to the show. That's not in the game. Right, right. Uh, and, and I've got some uh, research on fungus stuff to talk about uh, before we get into our scene-by-scene -scene breakdown. The, we're able to in, either see actively or intuit the backgrounds and the motivations of all the main characters. Even though we don't have a background story for Tess, we don't need to. We can intuit right. everything about her based on Joel's experience and based on the world's experience. So really economical storytelling in that regard, because they give us enough background that for anybody else that we meet, we can just make logical leaps for them. Right. You can tell in this world that anyone who survived, survived at a great cost. Exactly. Survived at the cost of like the joy in their life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rough, right? Um, it's bleak. It's, it's a bleak. bleak show. Yeah. And then, like, with Joel, we have so much to care for him about, right? Like, the, we, the, his motivation, like, I have a reason to want to be invested in his story. Um, and so that, all of that was just delivered really well. Visually, it looks nice. There was a lot of great production values. I think for me, there was a couple of little hitches in the backlot scenes in Boston. Okay. It felt like a backlot. Um, the production value, I don't know what they did or didn't do, but it just, I just felt like we were on a backlot. <laughs> it, it didn't look right. Well, the good news is we're out of Boston after this episode. Exactly. The, the handheld shots great, give a great sense of intimacy and urgency, so I like how they're employing that. And I think as a, as, as a person who's totally new to the franchise, there is no way that I would be able to tell that this is a video game adaptation down apparently to even shot-for-shot -shot scenes. Yeah. There's no way for me to tell that this is an adaptation. To me, it reads fresh. It reads um, well-constructed. It reads as a really nice story that they're putting together. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for this show. Uh, I think it's going to be great. Very cool. I'm really glad to hear that you had such a warm reaction to it just going in because that's one of the things that you worry about is, are they going to be too fan y and either copy the video game entirely or like really lean into like the fandom jokes of it, of uh, that have developed over time, things like that. And to see that it is working as a story on its own is really great to see. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I think that where they took things shot for shot from the video game, it worked. Where they changed things, that also worked. Like, they definitely updated a lot of scenes to take them from, like, a half-hour stealth mission uh -huh. into a two-minute explanation of what happened. Right. Like, the the scene with Robert. That was, like, a half hour stealth mission to take out Robert and his men. Okay. And then they were just like, no, nah, the fireflies, uh, the fireflies fought him. I thought that was a great change. Okay. Right. So we got some good shippy test material here. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's like, I don't need to see Joel and Tess stalk through Robert's campus for right. a half hour, but I, it was cool to see like, okay, the same result happened and right. we got there in a much more economical way. And we increased the dramatic stakes. 
and right. we inject our our primary protagonists into uh, a situation that they did not initially initially they're not choosing this right but the they but they can't pass up the the upside benefits of the deal right so they they again economical storytelling get your primary characters into the bind and 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 up the stakes for them yeah so i i guess that's really well delivered really really nicely constructed definitely well, why don't we get into your research? I know that you have uh, some fungus going on today. Yes, the fungus among us. I thought it was really interesting. the The premise of this zombie show, right, yeah. is not they're not a, really zombies, right? Right. They're um, they're they're it's a parasitical uh, infection, right? And it's not, you know, and a lot of times it's virus related, you know, zombie stuff. Um, and I thought that this was a, a nice twist on that. And so I thought, oh, let me let me check out some fungal research and understand a little bit more about this. So fungi, fungi are, that's the plural, are a, a massive class of organisms that are their own kingdom. So next to plants, animals, protozoa, etc. People used to classify them as plants. But then they realize that, oh, wait, they're not. And so they've reclassified them. So some people still think that they're plants. That's just sort of old knowledge that hasn't washed through. There's probably around 150,000 species that have been scientifically described at this point. And there are what, some of the research that I was reading. Scientists guess that there's probably between 2.2 and 3.8 million species that are yet unidentified. Like, wow. it's vast. Fungus include yeasts and molds, and most of them are invisible. You know, we, they're, they're either microscopic or they're living in the soil uh, or sort of all around us, uh, you know, or in our walls, you know, in, 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 the, in our carpets, wherever, you know, in the soil. And, and most of the time we don't see them unless they are like bearing fruit. And, you know, we see the mushrooms come out. Right. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. Fungi do not do photosynthesis. And they have no stomachs. So what they do is they excrete enzymes that break down material into molecules, molecularly breaks down stuff that then they can absorb. And that's that mycelium thing. So there's even a substructure to that thing. But that's how those little tendrils can... Uh, one, one article I read talked about the force of one of those tendrils can be up to 1,200 PSI. On, wow. <laughs> on an object. So they can pierce. Yeah. So they can pierce objects and, and, you know, bark and trees and that kind of stuff. Um, and so they get in and then they excrete these enzymes that breaks things down. And then, then it can reabsorb those molecules into itself. And then that's how it can, it can grow and, and procreate. So they outsource the stomach is what you're telling me. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever see The Fly with Jeff Goldblum? I did not. Okay. Well, great scene there where you, how flies do it. They vomit out like this stuff that breaks stuff down and then they slurp it back up like a, a milkshake. <laughs> kind of gross. Anyway, um, fungus exists worldwide in all environments. Um, most of them exist in our, in our moderate temperature zone, but um, they've been documented in extreme cold and hot environments. Um, and it seems like they might be the most versatile organism, organism that we have in the sort of current tree of life. Um, so there's some indications that they're 
they're even more adaptable than we uh, are initially thinking. And uh, in extreme cold and extreme heat, uh, they can even withstand UV radiation. I think I might, this is another, I'll have to add this to my obscure film reference, Andromeda Strain. Uh, great movie. Oh, God, when was it? Late 60s, early 70s? No, it had to be 70s. And I think the Andromeda Strain was a fungus came, that came from space. But that's another good title to check out if you want to talk about okay. post-apocalyptic, world-ending, um, you know, virus, fungus-spreading things. Got it. They can't travel on their own. You know, they can tendril out a little bit, but they can't, they don't really have any way, they don't, there's no locomotion. They don't have legs or anything like that. And mm -hmm. so spores are pri their primary way of, of spreading themselves, which is fortunate because that's how we get beer and bread. <laughs> right, because <laughs> yeasts floating around the uh, in the air—that's that's how we were able to uh, discover them in in one of the ways that we discovered them and, and to utilize them. They're very important decomposers in the uh, environment and really responsible for nutrient cycling uh, all over the world. So they take dead matter and are are able to to uh, recycle those nutrients back into the environment. An example of something that's really interesting in the Serengeti in Tanzania, which is a vast grassland plains, termites cut grass and harvest other dead vegetation, and then they take it down underground where they have these vast, vast, vast fungus farms. So the termites actually are farming the fungus. They bring down the, the dead vegetative vegetation. The fungus consumes that, and then the, the fungus produces a bunch of stuff that's beneficial for the termites. Wow. Symbiosis, if I've ever heard of it. Completely. And it's estimated that the underground biomass of the termites and the fungus exceeds that of all the surface-dwelling animals, maybe by a factor of one and a half to two. Wow. Maybe we should be fighting off the termites instead of the zombies. <laughs> Dude, there are like, if termites were like, uh, you know, maybe several inches enlarged, <laughs> enlarged, we would be having some serious problems. <laughs> um, obviously, people use, we actively use fungus. We eat them. They're high, they can be highly nutritious. You know, we can eat the beneficial ones. We use them for pollution cleanup, materials production, medical production, making vaccines. I mean, penicillin comes from a fungus. Right. They said that in the show. Um, obviously, psychoactive compounds. Uh, obviously for recreational purposes, not that I wouldn't know about those things. <laughs> um, but interestingly enough, psilocybin is um, being actively used in mental health these days. I've heard. That's exciting. I have somebody that I know who was talking to me about this, uh, somebody who, who um, dealing with it, you know, has, has dealt with a lifelong condition of extreme anxiety, and they were able to do a therapeutic dose and a, a, dose and a, and a specialized regime, and it sort of changed their mental framework for them. Wow. I mean, obviously, there's a whole bunch of other therapy around it, and it's not just an isolated thing, but it's part of a, a whole continuum. And right. they were saying to me that it, it's had tremendous beneficial uh, impact on their lives. That's very cool. I'm glad to hear that. It's really interesting. Obviously, there's negative uh, implications of fungus, crop damages, animal populations like bats in the Northeast are, are, are largely, we have a big problem in the Northeast with not having enough bats, and it's because it's from this fungus that um, gets into their caves, and uh, I think it's called white nose syndrome, and it's wiped out huge populations. So, you know, there can be some negative consequences, as well as humans, human health, right? Like athletes' foots and other kinds of stuff. Now. 
To the question that's all on our minds, can a fungus infect a human being and cause us to become a zombie? And from the limited research that I've done so far, what I understand is that there are four basic conditions that would be necessary for this to happen. One, it has to be a heat-tolerant fungus, which of, you know, like if you think of a bell curve of where fungus exists, you know, there's fewer species that exist in the extreme environments where the vast right. majority of them are in the middle. They would have to have the ability to invade a human host. So like we see some soldiers wearing gas masks and things like that, right? So they'd have to have some way to, to get into us. They'd have to have the ability to disrupt our, our cells and absorb human tissue, right? So there's a whole biomechanical process that's involved there. And then they'd have to be able to fight our uh, immune system uh, or, you know, our, our immune system has the ability to fight fungal infections. And because we're surrounded by fungus all the time with spores in the air and in the soil that we walk on and in our homes, our immune systems are really, really good at fighting fungal infections. So for the average human being who has an intact immune system, you know, it would be very hard for something like this to happen. Immunocompromised people, however, can be very susceptible to fungal infections. And if you do get a fungal infection, it can be extremely difficult to treat. It's one of the hardest medical diagnoses to treat and, and manage wow. if somebody gets a fungal infection. And then if you start biting, that's a big issue. Yeah. So the, the, this is a science fiction show in a sense, you know, and it's taking the premise that obviously, you know, the, the great cold open explained it, you know, to us all. Again, highly unlikely. I, I wouldn't necessarily be worried about it because we've been living with fungus our entire evolutionary history. Yeah, I took a little bit of issue with the guy going like, well, we've had viruses forever. Well, we've had fungus forever. Come exactly. on. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, don't bad, you know, don't don't knock fungus. Don't don't be worried about. It. I don't think anybody actually would be. But I just think it's really interesting to, to understand that so much of our lives today are affected by fungus. You know, obviously, great things like beer and bread, right? You know, and fermented drinks and, and all of these kinds of things, to the fact that, you know, our world would be just overabundantly littered with detritus if we didn't have fungus breaking that material down and recycling those nutrients, um, let alone penicillin and psilocybin and all of these other kinds of things. Yeah. Well, David, that was a, uh, a lovely segment. I would expect nothing less from such a fun guy. <laughs> yeah, that's what the girl mushroom said to the guy mushroom. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that we should take a quick break. And when we get back, let's get into our scene by scene breakdown. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. And we're back. David, are you ready to get into The Last of Us finally? Let's do it. All right. So we have a cold open. In 1968, scientists debate the biggest pandemic threat to humans on a talk show. One scientist describes the risk of viruses. The other describes a unique fungus 
that uses its host as a puppet and could one day spread to humans. This was a, a cool cold open. I, I really liked it. I felt like I was in 1968. They did a great job. Everything from the, you know, the people smoking on stage uh, to, <laughs> yeah. the, to the audience. I liked all the actors. Those are all known actors. And so it was kind of fun to, to see them in this bit role. And I, you know, we'll never see them again. Right. As a piece of exposition, and like I said before, in a, as, a, as a constructed television, sh- you know, a, a well-constructed episode of television, this was great because it established everything that I needed to know about what is about to happen without pandering to me and yep. without um, forcing dialogue that would be unnatural for a character to speak. It is natural for these people to be speaking in this extemporaneous way on this television show. So I thought it was a really inspired piece of um, TV making to give me, to get me the, the, the data that I need to understand about, you know, for what's about to happen. This is more exposition on the fungus than we get in the entire game series. Oh, really? Yeah, they definitely added this for the show. Um, it did work for me. I did uh-huh. like it. Okay. Um, I don't know how much I like them linking it with climate change. That seemed a little weird, especially because you mentioned like there are fungi that can live in hot temperatures. But if we're just going to take them at their words, I guess it it makes sense to create an inciting incident why this fungus finally made its way to humans. Yeah, I mean... I, I, I think from an evolutionary standpoint, if we go back to, to the, the, you know, my little, my mini TED talk there, we've been living with fungus for a very long time, you know, for our entire history. Um, so, so something would have to radically change for there to be uh, a dramatic uh, impact like this. And I think climate change makes the most logical sense to, sure. to, to figure that out. I mean, you, you could do some evil weapons bio-research lab and it escaped and stuff, you know, oh, whatever. But, you know, climate change is a, is a seemingly natural story pathway for, yeah. for this to be brought forward. And we've been there, done that with the evil laboratory. So it's nice to see something new, I guess. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice twist. I like it. I, I, I think it's, um, I think it's uh, inventive. It's, it's adding something new to the zombie genre. Yeah. So we then get the title sequence. What did you think of this title sequence with all the fungi growing and, uh, you know, all that? It was very Game of Thrones, uh, the crown, like there's a whole class, Westworld, there's a whole class of shows that use this sort of animated growing growth sort of, uh, you know, movement uh, in their title sequences. So, yeah, it I don't know. I wasn't inspired by it. It was fine. Um, I love the theme music, though. I'm really enjoying that. Yeah, it's good stuff. They definitely took that from the game. That's oh, did they? The, okay. Uh, that's definitely in the game, that, that theme. I wonder how much they're going to use from the game. The game is filled with that kind of, like, you know, hand-plucked guitar, uh, very somber music. And Joel's a guitar player. You can see the guitar in the opening thing, and, and I think that that's part of it. It's sort oh, of part that. of his character. Okay. Yeah, there, there's an acoustic guitar in his house in the in the opening sequence. Okay. But yeah, no, I I love the music. Good in the game, good in the show, and as far as the visuals, I thought it worked for me because the the way the spores grow is one of the coolest parts about this zombie infection. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I liked it. 
So in 2003, Sarah and Joel go through their morning routine on Joel's birthday. They get a visit from Uncle Tommy. Tommy and Joel decide to work a double shift, and Joel promises to bring back a cake. I was, I, I didn't understand what I was seeing here necessarily at the beginning um, and necessarily the relationship, but that was fine because I, I felt like I, I really was. I was just dropped right into their world and I just had to pick it up. And I, and I think I actually appreciated that because the show wasn't pandering to me. And it wasn't going out of its way to explain the relationships to me. It just, right. um, I had to intuit a little bit. And then slowly, the relationship came, became clearer. But I really enjoyed just seeing, you know, like, here, here they are, just normal, everyday people living, um, you know, the post- post-capitalist modern style lifestyle yep. where, right, you know, their their backs are a little bit, you know, economically, their backs are a little bit against the wall. They're struggling, you know, as a, not struggling, but, you know, they're just dealing with a, you know, single parent uh, relationship or family structure. And I really just appreciated the realism of that. And it really bonded me to um, this father-daughter relationship as a as a dad myself, who who happens to have a, a daughter, I could immediately emotionally connect to what I was seeing and what was going on here. Yeah, and I like that they sort of really show us and not tell us that this life that they have together is profoundly ordinary. It is right. just mm-hmm. a regular, imperfect father-daughter relationship. They love each other. They don't always agree on everything, and that's fine. And they have this, you know, banter, this playful banter. It's just like nice to hop in on their breakfast where they're messing with each other. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and um, for as challenge for as many circumstantial challenges that they have in their life, they have a functional relationship, right? And that was really heartwarming to see that it it wasn't, you know, oh, here's another dysfunctional, you know, whatever. No, these people are are doing the best they can, and they're actually doing pretty well from a human to human standpoint. And I think that just sets <laughs> that sets the stakes up for later, for in yes, a big way, for sure. All right, so Sarah steals Joel's watch and some money. She reluctantly agrees to visit the elderly neighbors after school. And I just want to point out a uh, a two thousand three nostalgia pick is the Atkins diet. Remember when yes, that, that was, was a huge funny. thing? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, <laughs> so funny. What'd you think of the scene? Again, more, um, more uh, setup. I, I was a little bit. I got a little worried when I saw her taking the money and the watch, and then fingering the knife. And I thought, oh, like there's, you know, what, what ABC school after special trouble is she going to get into? Like, because I don't know her yet, right? I, I don't know right. what, exactly what's going on. And yeah, and then they gave us, you know, some good factual information. Uh, the military veterans bumper sticker. Great, great way to clue us into a little bit more about Joel, right? Without right. having to like force the issue. My question is, was that was that Joel's truck or Tommy's truck? Good question. I don't know. Yeah, I don't even know either. Okay. Genuinely, from the game or this, but yeah, you could tell that at least one of them knows how to shoot, right? Yeah, exactly. That they've got some experience. All right. So Sarah goes to school and sees a classmate switching in class. She takes the bus into town and notices a lot of police and emergency vehicles around. In town, she has Joel's watch repaired just as the shop closes because of the panic. 
One of the owners tells her to go home. So this is in Austin, but then we jump into Boston later on. So I thought that was interesting that there's obviously some geographical movement that uh, happens for Joel. Right. And the, it also plays nicely later. Tommy says, oh, you know, it's people in the city. And it's like, well, she was in the city, <laughs> right? Right. That's why she was panicking. Yeah, exactly. Sarah goes to the neighbor's house and bakes cookies. The neighbor's dog seems concerned about the wheelchair-bound woman. On her way home, Sarah notices fighter jets flying overhead. It was so creepy when the grandmother started twitching in her wheelchair yes. behind her. And like, yes. oh man, I was like, really, really great Hitchcockian style, uh, just amping up the, the background anxiety, right? Just slowly turning that dial up. Um, yes. I thought that was really great. And then the dog, like that whole thing was, uh, you know, perfect. Yeah. Like the dog knows something's wrong. The people yes. haven't picked up on it because she's, it seems like she has dementia or something similar where she just is not there all the way. Yeah. And so nobody is thinking anything of her just being zoned out. Also, the camera effect is great because they go out of focus for her. Yes. And it kind of yes. looks like she has her mouth wide open. Yes. And I, I don't think she does at that point, but it, but the way that they use the camera effect to do that was so good. And then, yeah, just uh, all the little things, the the police, the the jets, right? You're just slowly getting this sense that something weird is going on in the world. The one thing that I did think was weird was that um, the neighbors didn't have a particular 24-hour news show on <laughs> in their house. <laughs> because you know, I think that that that's a common cultural thing is for folks to have um, certain news shows on in the background and that they didn't have it on was interesting. Uh, it serves a story in a sense that, you know, they're kind of in a news blackout right there. They're just sort right. of in, a, in an information void. Sarah is. And um, but other than that, I, yeah, it was, it was good stuff. You know, on one level, when I first played the game, I played this in like 2014 mm -hmm. and I was like, you know, it's kind of crazy that they were living normally before this all went to hell and it wouldn't be like that where people were just ignoring it. But then I lived through COVID and in the <laughs> early days of COVID, before the government was like everything is shut down, people were just getting complete denial. Like we were just going on with normal life until until it really hit the fan. Yeah. So I think that this is actually pretty realistic is that, you know, she's going to school, she's yeah. just going mm -hmm, home, mm -hmm. to, you know, everything's fine until it's not. Yeah, I mean, I think for most people, um, you're just dealing with your daily life and just trying to get by. Right. And the the number of people who are actively paying attention to uh, local, national, international news is a much smaller percentage of the general population. Right. So I just want to make clear, because we didn't say this up front, I think I'm going to talk about differences between the game as we go through. I yeah. won't go any further than this. Uh, sure. Jim and Aaron, I think, are not doing that. They're not going to talk about anything from the game. So I think that will be an interesting way to differentiate this coverage and add a little something here. Okay. So Joel returns home and forgot the cake. Sarah gives him the watch. Sarah falls asleep while they watch a movie. Joel gets a call from Tommy to bail him out of jail and puts Sarah to bed before leaving. This is actually where the game starts. Okay. Yeah. So it starts with, at the nighttime. I'm glad that they added this exposition of who Sarah is as a person and, you know, Joel's morning routine. I liked that for the game, okay. for, the, for the show. It gives us a more of a dimension because I, the one thing that I, I found interesting about Joel's background is that he's an average guy. Right. Right. A lot of times our hero stories 
are stories that are based around a hero's journey or, or whatever. There's something exceptional about that individual. And in this case, they're giving us somebody who's just a person dealing with right. their lives. And he's a guy in construction. Yep, it's his exactly. Birthday. He's, he's having eggs on his birthday. Right. And he's just dealing with normal life. And I think that gives me, as an average viewer, an even greater vehicle to uh, empathize with the character as they go through the, their struggles, because then I can say, this person is like me. I, you know, oh, they gave him the wrong size headers. Oh, I, I kind of know what that means, right? Like, <laughs> right, I have a, a point of identification, and then he even dismisses it. You don't know what that means, but it doesn't matter, because yeah. it's just a mundane part of my job. Oh, okay, I can understand that too. And then I have this pathway now to connect with him so that as he's increasingly challenged by the world, I can uh, more emotionally connect with him as he's dealing with that stuff. Right. So Sarah wakes up in the middle of the night to flashing lights and helicopter sounds. She looks for Joel leading her outside where the neighbor's dog is waiting for her and barking concerned. Uh, she refuses. The dog refuses to go into her house. God, like as a parent, like leaving your kid alone like that without leaving a note or something. But I could also feel Joel's desperation, right? Like he has to go bail out Tommy's got to go some far yeah. away jail thing, bullshit at middle of the night, you know, like. Yeah. And I also think that Joel thought he would be back any time. Sure. Because he probably had to go to downtown Austin, right? Or the county jail, which might be out on some, S, you know. Um, sure. You know, suburban, uh, exurban sort of part of town. Who knows? Sure. Well, I mean, I think that Joel probably thought, all right, I'm going to go there, I'm going to pay the bill, and we're going to head back. And then the zombie stuff started happening, and he couldn't get back quickly. And I, I think that's my headcanon of what happened. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's exactly, that's eminently logical. Right. And it's 2003. She probably doesn't have a cell phone, so he can't, like, send her a text or something. And, and I think the cell phone lines are down, too, right? They mentioned that. So okay. it's just, it is what it is. Uh, a funny point of reference, I actually had that very same Nokia model that Joel has. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a Nokia one time, too. Um, God, remember when Nokia was dominant, right? Like, yes, yes. God. And you could play Snake on your phone, yes, and that was like the yes. best thing. Totally. Man. We finally Amazing. bonded on a cultural I know, we have time. a common point of reference, Nokia telephones. <laughs> we did it. We Hilarious. did it. This is truly the UN of generations. Right. Yeah, just, just to the way that they're constructing the degradation of society with these explosions and jets and helicopters and things happening. Like, yeah, you know, you're just like, oh, it's just an average day. And suddenly, like, boom, right outside your house, whether it's a, an electrical transformer or, you know, the, the military, like, you know, shooting rockets at a pod of, of infected people. Right. Scary as hell. And again, just again, that that turning the dial, that tension dial up and up and up. Right. It wasn't so sudden. Like it, it was sudden for Sarah, but I think as the viewer, you're like, something is happening here. Yeah. Because I see the full camera shot. Sarah just sees what's in front of her and what she's trying to do with her day. And obviously we know, we have prior information that this is a post-apocalyptic story. So we know that the apocalypse has to come at some right. point. Uh, and so it's fun to see how it might, and it feels reasonably realistic, right? It's It's this creeping dysfunction it's this creeping breakdown of things and and um lack of information and all that kind of stuff so it feels again like a very real world yeah so sarah in her infinite wisdom enters the adler's house she follows a trail of blood as you do to the kitchen where the younger neighbors are bleeding and injured 
and the elderly wheelchair-bound neighbor is eating one of them. She is chased out of the house by Mrs. Adler, the wheelchair-bound woman. Creepy, uh, great scene. Um, uh, I can't imagine. Like, could you? Could could one imagine like walking into a scene like that? Like that would just be psychologically, you know, such a psychological shock. Yeah. Um, let you know one thing. It's one thing to see a wounded, a mortally wounded person on the floor. Oh, something mundane happened. Fight or robbery, break it, whatever. But then to see this invalid, um, you know, with a bunch of mycelium coming out of their mouth, feeding on another body, like, holy jeez, you know? Yeah. One thing I love about the zombies of this universe that I think is not common in most other zombie stuff I've seen is that these guys run. They are fast. Oh, yes. Yes. They are physically capable, even the ones that weren't before. The the vir- the fungus is like no nah, no nah, we're going now Granny yeah even you know and then she's you know she's maybe not as physically in shape as another zombie like, which we see later but yeah there I, I again I think that this show is adding a lot of good stuff to the 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 body of literature uh, around zombies I, I like right. what they're doing and you can see how this thing spreads so fast right because you, yeah people were not expecting their friends and family to suddenly just sprint at them. Right, exactly. <laughs> so they get outside and Joel and Tommy pull up in a pickup truck. Mrs. Adler tries to attack them, but Joel kills her with a wrench. More people are attacking others as the three drive away. Uh, I, why did he drop the wrench? I don't get that. Yes, I know. I said the same thing to my wife. You keep your weapon, man. Yeah, like always, always keep your weapons. All right, I'll, I'll give him an excuse. Maybe at this point he doesn't know if that spreads the, vi- the, the sickness. Oh, okay, all right. That's, that's, that's eminently logical again. Yeah. Interesting, too. There's, there's a thing to mark here in terms of Sarah's reaction uh, to this violence um, and later with Ellie's reaction. Yeah. Yeah, just, just again, uh, just horrific stuff to deal with because you're just in such an information vacuum and right. you're defending your life from a you know an elderly person who's got like things coming out of their mouth who you knew pretty well yeah you were over at her house regularly right in which they establish really nicely and all of a sudden she's attacking you and your yeah. dad kills her yeah with in, in in a very violent and brutal way right yeah that was rough to watch and i i do like that sarah's not just like that was crazy let's hop in adventure time she's like <laughs> terrified yeah and trying to process right As they drive, Sarah has a lot of questions about what is happening, and Joel does not have answers. Since the highway is blocked, they decide to go through the town to get out of the area. They refuse to stop for a family with kids, much to Sarah's horror. Um, Yeah, all just good um, post-apocalyptic setup stuff. I really like, again, they're they're not having Sarah just be this, like, parkour, ready-to-go kid. Yeah. She's like, why didn't we stop for them? Yeah. She's she's horrified by the whole situation as one would be when they're yeah. not expecting this. And it's it's all the for all the while further humanizing her. Right. And you're learning here that Joel is someone who when he cares about someone, he will do anything to protect mm. them to the detriment mm. of people other than him, other than them. Right. That's get yeah, a really great building moments for what we have to what they just they need to do with the storyline. If Joel cares about you, he would die for you. Right. If he does not care about you, you better watch out. 
yeah, he'd he'd murder um, you know se- seemingly nice old grannies <laughs> with a yeah with a blow to the head, right? So in town there is chaos as they drive through and they have to go through a crowd to escape. A plane crashes and shrapnel goes through the window, causing the truck to crash. All three are alive, but Sarah cannot walk. These um, scenes were, were done really nicely. One of the things I really liked, both in the preceding scene and this, is the handheld camera in the truck through the front windscreen. Our point of view, our only reference is the headlight beams of the car. And as we're turning, right, the camera is, is tracking with us. So I really felt like I was in the car as yeah. all of this stuff was, was going on. And then the freaking planes flying overhead. And then I the freaking plane, like, they're like, back up, back up. And then the f- plane explodes behind them uh, and Crazy. that shrapnel stuff. Like, just really, again, nicely. Um, now we're like, okay, now we're past five on the dial and they're cranking it uh, faster as we get closer to the sort of climax of the pre-apocalypse. Right. And this is basically shot for shot from the game, is okay. this chase scene. And I'm glad that they kept it because... This is what I like about this adaptation is where things need to be changed, they're not afraid to change them. But where things work, they kept them. They kept this. They kept a lot of the dialogue. I mean, there's just no reason to change certain things. And and they really respectfully adapted this. It would be interesting. I'd love to be a fly in the wall in the writer's room as they're breaking the script to figure out, you know, the, the, the debates and the conversations around what to keep and what to change and what to add. Um, fascinating stuff. Uh, and, yeah. and like you say, really. So far, um, they've gone. They've done a lot to engender my trust uh, right. going forward. And this apparently, Aaron was saying that he's heard that this is the weakest episode of the series from people uh-huh. who've had screeners. Um, and that was because I guess that they changed showrunners or directors at some directors, point. Directors, I think it was. Yeah, and uh, it was a mess. Okay, and so they had to like put together different directors' visions. Interesting. But this was the only episode where that happened. And so if this is the weak point of the series. My God, what are we in for? Yeah. yeah. I will say, too, you know, after sort of going through the, the holidays and I've been doing some, you know, background watching on some sort of, you know, B and C list shows. And then obviously we are just finishing Kaleidoscope, which was good, not great. C list. Yeah. Uh, I feel really good being behind the microphone on a quality show, you know? Like, I know, right? I'm happy. I'm like really happy. We're jazzed up now. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move on. Joel carries Sarah out of the car just in time to avoid another car slamming into them and cutting them off from Tommy and his gun. Joel and Sarah are chased by an infected person through a diner until the infected is killed by a gunshot. You know, pretty simplistic uh, plot device there, splitting the party. Yeah. Fine. I was fine with it, right? Um, As a dad, you know, I'm sure glad Joel is in construction. Because I don't know that I would be able to carry my teenage daughter under a circumstance <laughs> like this. So. I know, right? Like, I'm, am I that strong? Could I do yeah. that? I don't even know. Uh, yeah, but he's he's certainly very physically capable. I, I barely could pick up my kid now. This was a really terrifying scene. I mean, the infected... I, in the game, they just call them infected okay. like as, as a noun. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they'll do that in the series, hopefully, because otherwise it's going to break my brain. Uh, but the infected was just so fast Ooh. and he was so just like feral and ready to go. Really terrifying. The design was great. 
I was just, my heart was pounding. And I've seen this all. I've played this right. all. My heart's pounding. <laughs> the They're lucky that the infected kind of like when when it was like burst speeding, right? It wasn't pre-calculating, okay, I've got to turn here in a second, so I got to slow my roll I got, so I can make the corner or whatever. It was just like a missile, like boom, right. okay, like and then get up and then boom and then get up. And if that hadn't happened, if Joel hadn't been making those twists and turns through the diner, like right. they would have been in, in big trouble. And then when they hit open ground, I was like, oh no, you're like yeah. in more trouble now because this thing can come at you straight. And should have um, kept the like wrench, Joel. It should have kept the wrench. You know, now this thing can be like a cheetah and just, you know, take you out. Uh, and it, obviously at first I thought it was Tommy who shot, but it wasn't. Yeah, it's a fake out. Yeah, nicely, nicely done. Yeah, this is this is the part where it, when I played the game the first time, I remember audibly gasping mm -hmm. at everything that happens next and realizing what kind of game I was playing. This was not going to be a hero saves the world thing. This was not going to be like father and daughter take on everybody mm -hmm. this is going to be a bleak experience and a bleak mm -hmm. commentary on how humans react to something like this have you seen the movie train to busan no okay highly recommend it i would really re suggest that you you do watch it we're like oh for five now <laughs> i know like we keep whiffing train well i mean it's a more recent thing it's a zombie thing it's it's a a, a korean film Ex expertly shot put together really really great movie definitely an a-list movie and I, I don't want to say anything, but like in, in terms of talking about bleak storylines, non-Cinderella situations, right? Uh, I think it, it parallels it in many ways. So I think you'd enjoy it. I think you would, would find some measure of, um, I, I think it would add to your, you know, zombie appreciation too. Ah, uh, the zombie collection. Yes, exactly. Very cool. I appreciate the recommendation. Well... Let's finish up this 2003 plot. So the gunshot was from a soldier who tells them not to move. After receiving orders he seems unsure about, he opens fire on them. When he closes in on an injured Joel, Tommy shoots the soldier and kills him. Joel was superficially wounded, but Sarah was shot in the stomach. She bleeds to death in Joel's arms while Tommy looks on. As a parent, just gut-wrenching. Just, just a... <laughs> Just a really, really tough scene to watch. Yeah, it's hard to watch. And it, it was hard for me to watch. Again, like I, I've seen this before several times. The actress who played Sarah really sold me on this like very normal and sweet. Her name is Nico Parker. Nico Parker. She's Thandie Newton's uh, daughter. Okay. Yeah. Well, she really sold me on being this like wholesome teenager and watching her totally. die in Joel's arms. You, your heart breaks for her because you could tell yeah. how terrified she is. And like, it's not like I'm ready to go like you see in like cheesy movies. She's like in right. shock, terrified, yeah. clinging to life when she and goes. She's, she's been in terror. You know, she's been in this this increasingly, you know, from the dog, right? You know, forward, right? right? Like, it, it's really horrible. It's really yeah. horrible. Yeah, and your heart breaks for her, and then your heart breaks for Joel, and it's just, it's a horrible thing. I thought, you know, the just the whole buildup was nice. I, I, you could kind of predict, like, if, if, if you were thinking outside of this, it's like, okay, you know, here's a couple of uh, basic plot mechanics here, right? 
the 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 soldier you know gets the orders it's you know this infection situation you know tommy comes in to save the day right right so you know not nothing extraordinary there in the in the plot construction but in the 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 delivery of it all really really well done i you know i felt you know being in the the bright headlights of the of the soldier and not being able to see them uh, yeah. you know the hearing the one-sided radio communication i i can assume that if joel's a military veteran like he's like dude like i used to be so i'm like you know no it's cool don't worry like he's he's like trying to like kind of grapple with this and then he knows what's coming just in that moment he starts to realize yeah. it starts to dawn on him and then he can do nothing to save himself or or his daughter and that yeah. is so and that's that's the thing that's going to carry through this whole show right is this this trauma that Joel has experienced is going to be <laughs> such a fundamental part of our storyline going forward that yeah. it was it was so it just really nicely done and it was in the right place in the storyline the pacing was good so highly effective and you can tell this soldier really does not want to do this no he uh, he ends up in the in the Order sixty six Good Soldiers Follow Orders camp, <laughs> but he really doesn't want to do it. They took out a line from the game, which the the line in the game is kind of on the nose. He he goes, "Sir, there's a little girl with him," mm. and I don't know, I don't know. I like the line in the game, but it worked without it too. Yeah. What what do you think? Do you think that would have added to your experience? Well, she's not a little girl, so I think they would have. What did, yeah. I can't remember what the soldier said. Did he say that? Are you like two individuals or something like that? Yeah, yeah, two individuals, one injured, and then they the person on the radio is like, "Where is she injured?" And he goes, "In the leg." Ankle. So yeah. I think that that's why they are. He's ordered to kill them because she's injured. What do they assume happened? Yeah, to injure right. her is right. that she got bit, right? Or had like I think it's an exposed wound. Even can can be a pathway for the infection it's um i don't want to spoil how it spreads because i, okay. I think they'll exposit that but okay mildly interesting okay <laughs> for those that are new to our show mildly interesting is code word for uh somebody knows something that they don't want to divulge right i have spoilers and i don't want to ruin it yeah my head cannon is uh exposed wound but that's just you know again i, do, I don't know anything for real sure Okay, so let's take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to jump 20 years into 2023. And we're back and ready to go back to the future. In 2023, a child staggers into the ruins of Boston. Fedra soldiers take him in and discover he was infected. They inject him with a lethal poison and give him kind words. All really well done um, world building here, right? We see the ruins. Uh, we see a child who is obviously uh, born after the pandemic. Yeah. We see the device that can tell if you're infected or not. We're introduced to the paramilitary Fedra forces. Yeah. When the two soldiers were out front and they saw the kid and they ran to him, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, they're not just going to go, wait, uh, hey, approach no further uh, and then shoot him or something like that. No, they actually ran to go 
see if if the person you know to 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 yeah. try to help the person, which tells me something that okay, you know, Fedra's not all bad, you know, and then the woman officer is talking to the kid in a very you know uh, caring way. Yeah, but then they're they're not willing to allow somebody infected to be infected anymore, right? That's I mean, who can argue with this decision, right? They don't have a cure. He's yeah. going to suffer if they leave him alive. Right. This was probably the kindest way they could have done that. Yeah, it was. It, it, and like you say, it's a bleak world that, right. you know, people have to make these kinds of moral choices on a daily basis. What is that moral injury doing to you psychologically, spiritually, physically? So, yeah, they, they, this scene packed, like, this is one of the most informationally dense um, and, and well-constructed exposition scenes of the whole show. I learned so much about the world and how the world is operating now, 20 years into the, in the future, just in these, few, in these few minutes. Right. You've got a quarantine zone. You've got this military-ish group. So FEDRA stands for Federal Disaster Response Agency. Right. And they are basically supposed to be FEMA plus military right. leg. And that's that's what happened with the United States government. The, right. the U.S. government has basically collapsed. This is all that's left. And it's not a great situation. It is not no. a great uh, way to live, but it's basically the only way they found to do it. Um, we also see a chart of the infection timeline uh, that says 5 to 15 minutes to full infection for a neck, face, or head bite, two to eight hours for a torso, arm, shoulder, or hand bite, and 12 to 24 hours for a leg or foot bite. The, the symptoms are coughing, slurred speech, muscle spasms, and mood change. One um, critique here is I wish they had given us a beat longer on that scene, because I, I clocked that poster but just by the time that I started to realize that there's some actually good information here, they yeah. cut away. And I didn't get a chance to go back and freeze frame or go on Reddit or, you know, I'm sure that the, the, I'm sure this frame is all over the, the Internet. But really, again, like I'm saying, really useful information embedded into this kind of stuff. Yeah. And this is new for the show. There is okay. no like location to uh, location of bite to infection rate. In the game, I think they say within 48 hours, you're going to be infected in the game. So this is actually a faster timeline. It actually makes sense because when we were watching the cold open, I said to my wife, it seems like really fast for these people to change. Uh huh. And I guess that they've just changed the timeline in the, in the show. And I think it's fine. It works. I will also say Fedra is way more humanized in the show. Fedra okay. is basically just like a faceless soldier group, you know, paramilitary sort of pseudo fascist enemy right. in the game way more humanized here i mean that woman was so kind to the kid yeah uh and and good again more good storytelling you know points to create conflict and tension um especially as we learn later about the fireflies yeah that uh well if these if if this one fedra officer and the you know of the of the different officers that we meet they're reasonably human you know they're not you know, uh, faceless stormtroopers, so to speak. Right. That they that they do have some humanity left in them. The officers ran out to go help the kid. You know, these kinds of things uh, create a greater dramatic tension between the opposing forces. Right. I, I don't know how much more we're going to get of Fedra and Fireflies later on, but um, at least in in this scene, 
um, it gives me some more moral complexity rather than just a simple black and white. Sure. Yeah, definitely morally gray characters here. And being fans of Andor, we we are we're all about morally gray, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that everyone in this world has been forced to live in a morally gray way now. Mm-hmm. Like nobody's able to live as a beacon of virtue in this world, right? Absolutely. So Joel and Tess are part of a group of workers burning bodies. They Is receive that Tess? the body. I didn't recognize her. That was Tess. Yes. Okay. All right. They receive the body of the boy who was killed by Fedra. Tess cannot handle it, so Joel burns him. They collect their ration cards, and Joel takes a sewage job the next day. The really great acting on Pedro Pascal's part here. Yeah. Like, I really felt his internal conflict in the moment. Like, there's nothing else to do but to do what he is doing. But the the emotional pain that played across his face as he lifts the body over into the burn pit was visible and evident to me. And it was just a really uh, effective scene, right? Because you're, you're in this situation. There's nothing else you can do. You just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other. But that, the harm, the moral harm that is happening at, at every instance of this, and you kind of maybe desensitize yourself to unloading all these bodies out of the truck. Yeah. And then for whatever reason, one of these, you know, bodies that you're you're disposing of triggers something in you and it has an effect. And yeah. that was really nicely played out in this scene. Well, it's a small body with a face covered. I'm sure that reminds him of Sarah. Yeah. You can just exactly. tell he's just a shattered man at this point. Yeah. Like he just has no joy in his life anymore. Survival. Uh, he, yeah, he's broken and he, he's going through the motions. Yeah. A group of people who violated the rules by exiting or entering a quarantine zone are publicly hanged. Joel sells drugs to a Fedra soldier. We learn that Fedra has a factory in Atlanta that makes bullets and pills, and that a group called the Fireflies has been committing terrorist attacks and causing a curfew to be put in place. All the way through uh, this scene, great setups, world building. I'm getting a lot of information, understanding how Fedra works, understanding the human complexities. You can't have an occupying force that isn't interacting with the populace, um, right. and that there's going to be, you know, stuff happening uh, anywhere humans go under any circumstances. We set up economies, be they legally approved of economies or you know gray or black market economies. We're just going to do that stuff, right? It's just going to happen. Joel gets pretty holier than that with this guy too. Yes. He's like, oh, well, you kill people. It's like, Joel, who are you? Like, come on, man. Like, you're, you're also doing the same thing to survive. Yeah, exactly. I think that Joel, this is, this is also a bit of character building, too, is that Joel has an image of himself that is perhaps not lining up with his external actions. Mm. I think that he sees himself as someone who is broken, but tries to do the right thing. And I think that he sometimes does, and he sometimes acts very selfishly. Mm, interesting. Okay. I think um, we'll have to keep an eye on that, especially as you, you know, because of your gameplay experience versus me with the straight character, like in interpreting these motivations and understanding uh, Joel's, you know, internal makeup. Right. So Robert and Tess negotiate her release after Robert double-crossed her in a deal to buy a car battery. 
She convinces him to let her go and tells him that she will tell Joel the injuries came from other people. Before she can leave, an explosion knocks out the wall and kills one of Robert's men. Tess is then arrested as a suspected firefly. So I didn't realize that the woman that was, you know, with Joel when they were doing the body disposal was this same person. So I, I, I maybe a minor quibble there, like if I could have um, seen that connection a little bit. They would have said her name or something in the first yeah. scene. Yeah. Or just might, showed might her face good. a little bit uh, more. Because when we do see her in the scene, obviously she's been injured. And so her face is a little bit, you know, um, um, showing those, those wounds. And so, it's, you know, it changes her, her, the way she looks a little bit. And again, I don't need to know who this person is. I don't need to know their backstory. I don't need to know who Robert is or his backstory. Everything I need to know is embedded in the dialogue, and this is the dialogue that these people would be saying. So thank right. you for not pandering to me um, and, and playing the story straight. And I love the fact that they're just being very realistic and pragmatic and practical about their negotiations, right? Like, can, can we just get past this? You know, we'll, we'll call it even. We'll deal with it. Um, but both of them also, you know, being very cagey. Uh, and 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 fearing the retribution and the payback, which um, you know, no no honor among thieves kinds of situation here, right? And and you get a sense of the economy and and the things that are going underground here, right? You're you're entered into the criminal aspect of the world. There's a thriving black market here. Yeah, for sure. I will say this is also a great way to see the many faces of Tess, right? So like uh-huh. earlier, you get Tess really like heartbroken that there's a child's body here yeah right and showing how like having like a moment of weakness i guess and then now you have her putting up a tough front like come on man just let me out we'll work it out when it comes to business tess isn't isn't effing around right right oh she's a tough lady yeah and then when she's out in the street with the fireflies she suddenly puts on this damsel in distress thing for the fedra so they don't shoot her so like it's really interesting to see how much this woman changes from scene to scene question for you because in what media i've seen you know little trailers and and still shots and things like that i i haven't seen tess so i guess without spoiling things mildly interesting okay um, because I, the way that they've been presenting the show to me, um, or the way, and the way that I'm interpreting what is being presented is that this is Joel and Ellie, and I don't really have a sense of any of the other characters that might or might not be along for this journey. So, um, if that is the case that like, I'm all for any show who's willing to kill main characters, <laughs> right? You know, like. Play the story out like you should be playing the story out. Um, yeah. Not, you know, don't give people plot armor just because you want to, you know, handing out um, Hollywood uh, contracts, right, for you yeah. know, so many episodes or whatever. Nobody has plot armor in this series. Okay. It's, uh, it's a bleak world. Anything can happen at any time. That's all I'll say. So a girl calling herself Veronica is chained in a room and tested for speech ability and memory. She says Fedra will come looking for her. So I guess this is our first introduction to Ellie. Right. We learn later that that's Ellie. If you watch any of the trailers, you, of course, know that's Ellie. Really good performance so far from Bella Ramsey, who was Lady Mormont in Game of Thrones. She was 
uh, I forgot her name in uh, His Dark Materials, but she played actually like kind of a smug, arrogant child there too. Uh huh. And this is sort of conjuring that vibe. What did you think of your initial impressions of Ellie? Well, I was going to ask you because you've got more at stake with Ellie's character. I'm fine with her. I, I accept her on face value. And um, from what I understand of the property, the character's a bit of a shit stirrer. <laughs> yes, yes. I think she captured that too. Okay, so, but but to me, it's like, uh, it's blank. So I think it's interesting to see what the reactions are from game players, whether they're picking up what uh, Bella Ramsey's putting down. Ellie is the most important person in the world who is also an asshole teenager, <laughs> right? Okay, okay. And I think that that's super interesting for the story. Yeah. Like she is just not that nice of a person, but she has a heart of gold underneath, I think. I think that you can see moments of her being vulnerable, moments of her like caring about things. It's just that she has this really tough exterior because she's been raised in military school, right? She's an orphan raised in military school. How is that supposed to shape you as a person? Post-pandemic, right? Right. Yeah, post-apocalyptic. She's never lived in a peaceful world. Right. So do you have an opinion on Bella Ramsey as Ellie? Oh, I think she's doing a great job so far. Okay. Yeah. No, I think that she's capturing her. I think that she has that smug arrogance that Ellie has. Got it. Because there are some people out in the world, uh, you know, uh, people were chatting on the Bald Move Discord server. I saw some comments on Twitter. You know, I don't think anybody has yet rejected her performance, but I think some people are saying it's taking them a minute to get used to her because they've already have a pre-constructed, and they're all video game players, right? They, yeah. they all have a pre-constructed, they have a construct, a mental construct of who um, Ellie should be, and it's taking them a minute to adjust their model. Yeah. Well, she definitely looks a lot different than the um, video game character. Okay. Um, I think that Pedro Pascal looks more like video game Joel than she looks like video game Ellie. But I think that the performance does capture the heart of Ellie, and that's what I'm looking for here. I right. don't need her to look exactly like her. I'm much more interested in how much she can act like her. Um, and there's a scene later, I'll bring it up later, uh, in Joel's apartment where she sold me that she can do the multi-layered Ellie. Okay, cool. So Joel cuts in line to speak to the radio operator. He learns that there has been no word from Tommy for three weeks. He gets the location of a radio tower in Wyoming from the operator. This was a fascinating scene for me. I was so not sure what was going on. Like, why are these people lined up? Why are they writing? What are they scribbling on these little, like pens have to be like a, a premium pro, you know, a, a thing in, in this world. And it was a vast line. And I'm like, I was really head scratching. And then when he walks into the ham radio, ham radio operators thing, I was like, oh, brilliant construction. So in, so interesting taking something that's very real world because the ham operators are still out there. Um, yeah. You know, they, they still do their, their stuff. I mean, the internet has changed obviously uh, that a lot because we can FaceTime and zoom and Skype and all kinds of things, you know, so we don't really need ham radio operators in that same way anymore, but it so makes sense. It so, so yeah. makes sense. And I really appreciated the detail. I think also in 2003, there were likely more, ham radio operators because the internet was not quite as right developed as what it is. Mm -hmm. I think there's even uh, ham talk, right? <laughs> like yeah, I, I've, yeah. I've, I've recently deleted my TikTok, but I did come across every once in a while some ham radio operators talking about their gear and showing awesome yeah. things. So like it's my still uncle's into it. 
Oh, is yeah. he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they're definitely still out there. I know one. Yeah, so this was super interesting. We learned that Tommy is gone. We don't know why he hasn't heard from him. What's the relationship between Joel and Tommy at this point? And I guess we sort of are implied here that that's why Joel is trying to get all these car parts, right? He needs to go find Tommy because Tommy's missing. I was really surprised that Tommy was still alive, uh, to be honest. Really? Yeah. Um, I wasn't expecting him to have survived. And I think it's an interesting kind of uh, MacGuffin-y aspect here. Adds some dimensionality to the pressures that Joel is under, that he's got to, you know, rescue his brother. Yeah. And what is Tommy doing? Where is he? Yeah. What the hell would be in Wyoming? And how are you going to get from Boston to Wyoming, man? Like, no right. effing way, dude. Like, that is a right. huge journey. Even even on in a non-apocalyptic world, right? It's a, it's a long trip. Well, we got a long way to go. And I think we got a hint of where Tommy, why Tommy left later. Uh-huh. Um, Joel makes some comment to the Fireflies, like, well, you're the one who made him go, basically. It's, it's so... I think yeah, that, let's talk about that when we get there. I yeah, have some questions. Yeah, I, yeah. Questions. I think that we have a hint of where he's going. Okay. So Joel returns home and looks at his maps while drinking heavily and taking a handful of pills because, you know, that's what you do. He falls asleep and Tess joins him. In the morning, she tells him what happened with Robert and they plan their revenge. He took a lot of pills and it yes, tells you, it tells and he drank a lot of, of local hooch, right? Um, yep. And it just tells you what he has to do to get to sleep every night. Yeah. The, the moral harm that has, <laughs> you know, that he's carrying is he- heavy, heavy, heavy. And it really gave me an insight into that he can operate on a daily basis like he's doing. And in those quiet moments at home at night, all of that stuff is just there, just below the surface. He cannot sit in the silence. He can, right, he can't. He's functional. He's, he's, actually, um, he's actually hungry for work, right? He's like, yeah, give me the sewer job. It pays more, right? I've got my side hustles. Like, he's actively engaged in survival in the world. But yeah, he's got to stay active because when he comes to a stop, what's underneath there is horrific. My question is, Joel is just so broken. Why does this guy want to survive in this world? Is he broken? I mean, he's dealing with stuff, but he's on the surface, he's not broken. He's functional in the world. I guess he has developed relationships. I mean, he still has Tommy. Yeah. And he has Tess. Yep. So he's not alone. And I guess that he, that is enough for him to want to keep going. Yeah. The, the, the instinct and the drive, that, that's probably what made him a good soldier as well. I'm assuming he was a good soldier, was that ability to continue on no matter the circumstances that you're facing. He's very resourceful. There's a lot of looting in the game. There's a lot of like picking up <laughs> random parts and uh, and like I'm going to you, you can like edit your guns. Basically, he, he there's, there's really cool animations, actually, where he has like tools and he actually like works on the gun in front of you. Someday when I have more time in my life or when I'm not occupied with other things, I may have to get around to checking out this game because it sounds pretty dope. You know, it was something that we could do, maybe. I'll float this idea to you. Maybe one day after we finish the first season, because the first season is going to cover the full first game. Right. Maybe we could plan a stream where I play it and we both comment on it. Interesting. Okay. That'd be fun. All right. I'm, I'm not opposed. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a good game. It's, uh, it's similar, but different. And uh, yeah. So Marlene, a Firefly leader, 
is confronted by skeptical fireflies. She tells them to follow fucking orders. We learn that the fireflies' goal is to restore democracy. Marlene describes her plan to distract Fedra and smuggle Veronica out. I like that they didn't take their time introducing us to the oppositional forces to Fedra. They just get right to it. We get right to the point. These are highly motivated, well-trained, intelligent people who are well-resourced and are taking the fight to their perceived enemy. No, you know, no matter what side you might fall on, Fedra or Firefly, the fact that um, these are pretty competent and capable people, and Marlene seems like a, a no-bullshit boss, right? She is stone-cold and realistic. Yeah. They're like, rebellion takes time. She goes, it's been 20 years, man. Like, <laughs> you, you grow up. It was interesting when that line, um, when, they, when they mentioned that line, I went instantly to Andor. Right. Like I went instantly back to our yeah, yeah. of that show. It's like, oh, rebellion. Oh, let's talk about rebellion. <laughs> and this is even tougher because you're in a situation where like it like and or the empire is really bad, but yeah. they're not protecting you from something that's like existential. Ooh, yeah. Whereas right. Fedra is actually your line of defense between you and this natural force that could kill you so quickly. So you need to have something in place to replace that. Right. And you've got to be ruthless in that regard. So. Right. Can you, it's a question, open question, like how would a representative democracy, representative or, or otherwise, or direct democracy, could that function under those circumstances and function effectively to actually protect people um, in these, you know, in, in that, fa in, in the fact, with the fact that there is a fungal <laughs> infection that will turn you into a zombie, right? Like, yeah. Right. But I mean, I think that that's part of the Firefly's goal is they're like, if we can cure this thing. Right. Then right. we. Right. Then it changes everything. Right. Then, then we could really fight for the restoration of the U.S. government. Question for you, um, Marlene, the actress who's playing Marlene, is, is that the same person in the video yes. game who voices the person in the video game? Yes, it is. I think she did motion capture. So they, okay. it, it is the, the character is modeled off her as well. Merle Danbridge. She's great. I hope we get some more of her. I, I, I know she got shot in the, in the shootout. I was like, no, I'm not ready to be done with her yet. Yeah. And also the actors for Joel and Ellie, the voice actors for Joel and Ellie are in the show too as like side characters. I don't even know if they have speaking lines, but okay. I don't think we've seen either of them yet. Um, and I don't think the characters were modeled after them either. So you won't recognize them from just the game. Okay. But it's, it's kind of fun that they put them in. Yeah, yeah. Just as a I think fun that thing. the Joel voice actor is hosting the official HBO podcast. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So Joel and Tess barter for Robert's whereabouts. Joel is solicited by a Firefly recruiter. <laughs> you tell me to look to the light one more time. I'm going to break your jaw. Yeah, was that was like, so good. <laughs> it told me so much uh, about uh, uh, the world and Joel, again, just added a lot to my understanding of what's going on. Yeah, he's just like, all right, just cut the bullshit, man. I mean, these people are basically like door-to-door -door solicitors at this yeah. point, and uh, he's just not going to have it. He's so over it. And I think that that is colored, too, by what happens with between him and Marlene later, talking yeah. about Tommy. Right. Yeah, good point. Oh, that's, that's actually an interesting thing. It adds more meta context to the whole thing, because as we learn... They're not strangers to Fireflies, to the Firefly organization, and even the leadership of the organization. 
So yeah. there's some history there. So that's interesting. That's a that's a good point. And so when when yeah when he's confronted by a street level uh, recruiter, he's like, man, just f off, right? Yeah. Like, young young sir, move along. You don't know. You do not know who I am. <laughs> and I think that's a common sentiment throughout these quarantine zones. Is like, all right, so there's going to be people who are like wanting to get a revolution and wanting to be part of a bigger cause. And sure, they're going to be the targets for the fireflies. Uh, recruitment, but the majority of the people are going to be like, come on, man, I'm just trying to survive. Like, leave me yeah, alone. Right. And they're, they're exhausted by this Firefly federal conflict that's been going on 20 years. Right. So I don't think that the Fireflies really have won the hearts and minds of the people in these quarantine zones either. It's another interesting political question, too, because if they're, you know, oh, we're struggling on your behalf to, you know, to restore you, democracy to you. And then you're just like, yo, I'm just trying to survive and eat and get through the day. Yeah. They're like, don't do that. If it means bombs, don't do that. Right. Blowing things up and like, hey, I'm walking down the street and you blow up a Humvee and now there's a firefight and my my auntie who's walking home gets rousted by the Fedras and has to spend a day in in Fedra jail. Like, yeah. So that's a that's a it's a good tension. It's a good dynamic for this story and in, in doing this storytelling. Yeah, definitely. I don't think that anyone is a hero in this story. Right. So Veronica tries to escape her bonds. Marlene visits her and releases her. She reveals that she knows Veronica's real name is Ellie and that she is the one who put her in Fedra school. She tells Ellie something that Marlene assures her she will die if she tells anyone. So I thought this was an interesting reveal um, that uh, Marlene has a much longer history with her. Yeah. Well, in the game, they have like, I guess a friendship like she I guess after Ellie was orphaned Marlene took over the surrogate guardianship but because she's a firefly she does put her in Fedbro school so that's the same but like Ellie knows who Marlene is in the game but I, okay. I it, it's fine to do this change it doesn't really fundamentally change what's happening here mm. and then we get the secret not secret right right you know they put it in the trailer I think like um, I think Aaron put it this way this is the premise of the show it's right. not a plot twist right it's just that she's immune, right? But in world, they've got to keep it a secret so that we have the dramatic tension between Joel and Ellie, Joel, Tess, right. and Ellie, and, and everyone else. We're, so it's a nice wink, wink to us. Like, wink, wink, this is the promised child. But in world, we've got to play, we got to play this out. So I thought that was really uh, smartly done. Yeah. And this has literally never happened before. No one has ever been bitten that anyone knows about. Right. And has not and changed. Yeah. Tess and Joel head to Robert's location and come across an infected that wasn't there the last Ooh. time. Good jump scare. Yeah. When they open the door, they see bodies from a gunfight in the Firefly base. The um, really beautiful visual of the myosinated, I don't know what you want to call that. Yeah. Uh, uh, and at first I thought it was just a fungal growth and it wasn't for a moment until I actually was able to notice the body there not just a flat two-dimensional thing but like a you know a yeah. person's body there it really it really brought me back to the expanse and uh oh yeah the, the yeah. scenes with um what's her name on the razorback julie uh, mao yeah yeah julie mao exactly and how it was spreading out and just beautifully visual you know the the, the visual of the of the fungus was just you know in some way it was like horrifically beautiful i guess you could say very good visual. I mean, that's something that you see in the game, too, and they really brought it to life here. Um, mm -hmm. 
I think that we are in for a treat on how they reveal like how the fungus operates. They're doing a very slow reveal of it. I, okay. I think that's smart because yeah. it's not it's too much lore to pack into one episode, even a 90 minute episode like this one. We got to get character. I got to get invested in the characters and in the world before you start giving me the other pieces. Right. I suppose you could do it the other way. I mean, I'm not saying that there's a right way to do it, but in, in this way, no matter what you throw at me now, I'm invested and right. I appreciate that because I, I want to hang with Joel. I want to find out what this everyday man is going to be faced with and how is he going to overcome his challenges? How is he going to overcome the challenge of his own heart? Right. People talk about, you know, there's only like five or six stories or whatever. And then I, there's some people even say there's only one story. Uh, to be told, and that's the human heart in conflict with itself. So I'm really interested to see Joel's journey, and so I'm glad that they've given me the investment up front, because that's going to pay off as we go forward. Well, I think I said to you last night is, this is a character-driven drama that is heartbreaking and happens to have zombies. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's a perfect... The, the zombies are a set piece. They are not the plot. Right. It's not the point. It's not, yeah, it, it's not... The Walking Dead just trying to go, hey, how far can we push the zombie uh, makeup and practical effects? It's, right. it's the backdrop of the, of the characters. Exactly. This is a story of how humans react to a zombie apocalypse. It is not a story of the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Oh, one other thing about this scene is I really, uh, again, a very telling moment with Tess and Joel and how competent of operators they are. Not only are they like kind of ruthless, they're like, F that dude. We're going to go like kick his ass and get some revenge on him. Like Tess is like no joke. <laughs> but that when they're hiding behind the wall, so then, then they dropped a little clue about, you know, I thought it was funny that Joel was talking about construction and changing the design plans of, you know, condos and things like that. That was really interesting. But then that they smell the cordite, they smell the gunpowder. And so that they're instantly alerted that there was some sort of gunfight going on here. And again, um, just clues to who they are, how they operate, and the fact that they're very competent and experienced people. Yeah. Um, Tess is a tough lady, you know, and uh, they, they are ready to go. I do like that they come across the battery and they're like, man, this guy really is just a scam artist. Yeah, no, I love I love the back and forth between Joel and Tess. Yeah, really, really strong dynamic there. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more of it. As Joel and Tess go through the hallway, Ellie attacks Joel with a knife, which he disarms. Marlene and Kim are injured but alive, and they make a deal with Joel and Tess to give them supplies if they smuggle Ellie to the old state house. So I, I, it took me a minute to understand that we were in, the, I was like, wait, wait, are we in the Firefly base here? Like, how did yeah. all of these Fireflies who are like fighting federal, federal forces on the regular, you know, go, end up dead? Like, what the hell happened here? This is not good uh, if this went down. So maybe Robert was a little bit more of a threat than we realize. Yeah, no, his guys are tough. Yeah. He just overshot a little bit yeah. by attacking the Fireflies. Yeah. And as I mentioned earlier, like this was a whole sequence in the game where uh, I think I think Marlene gets injured by fighting Fedra agents in the game. Okay. And then she comes and she's like, yeah, you know, Robert sold me your guns because it's guns in the game. And uh, if you want them, if you want even more than that, smuggle this girl out. Really interesting. What do you so if it's guns in the game, but it's car batteries in this world, 
That's interesting. And, and just that carb, I just took it on face value. Oh yeah, carb bodies. Oh sure. Yeah, I could understand why those would be a premium and da 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 da. Like it, it just kind of made sense. I like it better as a car battery. Okay. I like it better. And also I like the better what they do with Tommy in the game, in the, in the show, because in the game, Tommy and Joel had a falling out and they haven't talked in like years uh-huh. and there's no really reason for Joel to leave town. Right. Whereas this gives you a much stronger motivation for Joel to leave town and to right. accept this mission. Cool. Good. Well, I'm glad that they're making intelligent changes. Uh, right. Exactly. Like change things that make it work better, not things that like don't need to be changed. Right. <laughs> Ellie's like fero- <laughs> ferocious here, right? Yes, she is. <laughs> She's not afraid to use. And we see earlier on when Marlene is sitting with her, the first thing that she looks for in her backpack is the switchblade. And um, yep. she, there's a lot of familiarity there with it. And so when she comes out at Joel and Joel's not having it, he's like, little girl, and I love the whole thing with his foot on the blade and kicking it away and keeping it from her. And she's like, arr, arr, arr. like she's like, you know, growling at him, like trying to get it back. Really right. great establishing relationship between these two. They are kindred spirits. Mm. They are both, you know, heart of gold, but feral. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. When they need to be, they are ready to go down. Yeah. Yeah. And she was not, she was like, I'm going to stab you, <laughs> dude. Yeah. I'm going to poke you. Yeah. And we learn later that she is totally down to stab people. Right. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. I have a question for you that I have to go back to an earlier scene for, which is at one point, Marlene says, was Riley a terrorist? When Ellie says, you know, you guys are terrorists. Who do you think Riley is? Uh, no idea. I think I probably just washed over that scene. I remember the conversation about terrorists and terrorism, and I just clocked it into the box of, okay, you know, the, there's a political dynamic going on here. Um, okay. And so I just sort of locked it into there. I didn't clock the, the name of an individual there. Okay. All right. Well, she mentioned Riley. Okay. I'm going to keep that mentioned. Sounds good. Yeah. Put a pin in that. So they go back to Joel's apartment and Joel and Tess discuss going to Bill and Frank. Joel goes to sleep while Ellie breaks his radio codes. 80s music means trouble. I was really upset that they just allowed this kid to sit in this room and go through their stuff while they're out <laughs> in the hallway talking. This is another shot for shot for the game. Yeah, I saw something on Twitter this morning uh, where where somebody put together the the visuals where they screen recorded the game and the the show and uh, played it. I didn't watch it deeply, but I just clocked that uh, that it's out there. That's interesting. I think it was really fun to add this uh Decades of music meaning different things, though. Right, right. That was Good a code. fun little code he has. Yeah, for sure. And again, more world building, right? Uh, every scene is packed with utilitarian information about what's going on in this world and how we can interpret different things. I did know, <laughs> I did know when we get to the ending scene, there's a funny thing about the song. I think it was somebody on our Discord, uh, on the Bald Move Discord, said something about like, what song? Is, what 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 is that song? And what decade is it from? <laughs> it's uh, "Never Let Me Down" by Depeche Mode. Uh, Depeche Mode. Depeche. <laughs> I don't know. Listen, I this, was born in the '90s. I don't know any of these bands. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Let's let's finish up the scenes, and then we can talk about Depeche Mode. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Galadriel. Yes, Depeche exactly. <laughs> Silmarillion stories. Yeah. Okay. The three sneak out at night while Fedra patrols the quarantine zone. Once on the other side, they are caught by Lee, the same soldier that Joel sold drugs to earlier. He is going to let them go after doing an infection check 
He is until okay. Ellie. I think he's going to let them go. I think okay. that's implied, right? He's like, you're basically going to give me free drugs forever. Um, so they, anyway, were nego- until- they were actively negotiating. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, they would have gotten out of that, I think. Okay. Uh, so they he's about to let them go, but then Ellie stabs him in the leg. Seeing Ellie threatened, he Joel goes berserk and kills the soldier. When Tess checks the scanner, she sees that Ellie is infected. Ellie shows them her scar, which she says is three weeks old. So at first... It, I I wasn't, you know, I didn't realize that Ellie had been infected, so I didn't know, like, that that's how they, they knew. So when she stabs him, I was like, what, what, wait, what are you doing? Like, why are you attacking now? Like, that's, this isn't the smart play, but it makes sense because she's yeah. about to be identified as an infected, which means she's going to die, right? So she's yeah. acting out of pure survival instinct in that moment. No, yeah, it makes total sense when you know that. And also... You have uh, Marlene saying to her earlier, I'm going to tell you something that if you tell yes. anyone, right. you're going to die. So Ellie has been told, like, this is a life or death situation. You do not let anyone know you were bitten. Right. And then she t- tells uh, uh, Tess and, and Joel there in, in that moment, like, because she's got to, because Tess is going to kill her. Like, yeah, the, right. Yeah. The red scanner. It's like, uh, no, game's up. Like, she's, she's scrambling to explain herself. Tess is clocking the safety right there. She's right. like ready to go. She would have just shot her right in the head unless Ellie really convinced her. I think so. And gr- again, great exposition. Right now we understand uh, it's now made clear that Ellie has something that's different about her. There's physical evidence. You know, she shows up on the infected scanner. She has a body scar. So all really- A healed body scar, which is not something scar. we've seen. Right. So all really good information that uh, I'm sure is going to come to play in future conflicts. Yeah, definitely. So lastly, we discussed it already, but uh, Joel's radio plays an (laughs) 80s song, Never Let Me Down by Depeche Mode. Never Let Me Down Again. Oh, I'm sorry. I won't. I'm taking a ride with my best friend. Uh, This song, for those of us who, you know, uh, when this song came out in, in our, I think it came out in 1987, which is coincidentally, the year that I graduated. And um, dance clubs were a big thing uh, in that time. And this song was a staple of the music uh, urban scene. And it um, just sitting there listening to it play over the credits, I was like really transported. And the, the lyrics, I think, are very meaningful uh, at the same time as it serving a, a plot function in the story. Tonally, I think it worked really well with the the bleakness and the sort of sour dourness of of everything. So, uh, inspired musical choice. Um, regardless of whether you have nostalgia around the song or not, that's mine, and that's my <laughs> that that belongs to us who are of that time. So, I get it if you got if other people don't appreciate it in that same well, way. The old men will enjoy this scene exactly, and and for people who who don't have anything. Listen to the lyrics and 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 let the let the the sonic uh, aspects of it wash over you because I think it matches really well uh, to the story. Did you did you have an opinion? Have you heard, have you listened to the whole song? I could just tell it was an eighty song by the okay. by the sound of it, but that was about it. I didn't go deep into it. Here's well, here's my here's I here's a favor that I'll ask you: listen to the song before the next episode. All right, and I and will. read the lyrics and uh, see if it adds anything. It doesn't have to. But I would be curious to your reactions uh, to okay. see if it, if it does something. If Sounds it adds. good. Yeah. 
All right, very cool. So I think that that is the end of our recap. Any final thoughts on the episode before we do our housekeeping? No, I'm um, I'm just really happy. I'm really excited to be uh, podcasting. We weren't going to initially uh, cover this, and then we sort of uh, worked some things out. And uh, I just it just feels good to be in the chair with the mic on a quality production. Um, and uh, I am I'm all in. I'm ready to go. Really great show. I'm just so happy that it's good. We finally got a good video game adaptation, guys. We finally did it. I don't know how we did it but it's here. Let's hope that they're all like this from now on. Uh, So let's do our housekeeping quickly. Uh, Back to our patrons. We give a special shout out to our lore master patrons. That's our highest tier every episode. Uh, We've heard for the last month or two, some Martian, Mark H and Michael G. Thank you so much for everything. But we have a new lore master, uh, Cyrus, who converted like 10 minutes before we hit record. (laughs) Right. He messaged me and said that he had converted. Cyrus, thank you so much. Cyrus is a active member of our Bald Move uh, Discord. They're a member of uh, the Bald Move Art Club, which does a lot of artwork for the Discord, custom emojis, title cards for shows and stuff like that. So um, having Cyrus be a lore master um, means a lot to me personally. So thank you, Cyrus. Cyrus has been a supporter of us since the beginning. I mean, uh, Cyrus always messages us. One of our early patron signups too. Yeah, no, I'm I'm super grateful for Cyrus and for all our lore lore masters and all our patrons really helps us to make this happen more and to to create higher quality and more frequent podcasts. Yeah, the the um what we get from Patreon really helps uh <laughs> our on our production side because we do put a lot of time and effort into these things. And so yep. um it's it's much appreciated. Yep. All right, so here's our quick programming notes. Do you want to do that, David? Um, sure. So we're going to do new episodes of this podcast every Wednesday. Um, so we'll watch on Sunday, typically record on Monday, and then we'll get them out to you on Wednesday. You can write in emails to us at TLOU. So that's the last of us, TLOU at thelorehounds.com. Or you can check out our new website, uh, thelorehounds.com. And there's a contact button on the main page, or you can go to lorehounds.com slash contact. We'll put that in the show notes. And you can leave a voicemail, um, and that uh, the the website backend system will record that. Uh, it'll send it to us as an email, and then we can integrate those into our show. So if you uh, have something you want to say and want to get on, we'll uh, definitely uh, would love to have your feedback. Also, be sure to check out Bald Move, our podcast parents. Um, they're doing full coverage of The Last of Us as well. Jim and Aaron uh, have played the game; they're very familiar with the title. They're going to be doing it there. I, th- I don't know if they're going to continue with the instant talk after the show on Sunday nights. I'm sure they will after last night. There was a big turnout. Yeah, yeah. I didn't stay for too long. I was on there for a little bit. I needed to get some sleep, though. But there was over 100 people in there. And if you're a club member, if you're a Bald Move uh, Patreon club member, then you can um, ask them questions on the live stream that they'll, uh, they'll answer on the spot. Then they turn that into a, a podcast. And then I think their shows are going to come out on Tuesdays. Yeah. And by the way, just to be clear, that's their Patreon, not us. So I don't want to mislead anybody. Right. They have uh, a our Patreon, Patreon gets you our exclusive episodes, early stuff, ad-free, et cetera. Right. And then their new feed is called Savage Starlight, which I'm assuming has some sort of game, in-game reference, in-world reference. That is a comic book series that you can pick up as a collectible in the game. Oh, interesting. In the game. In the game. You can collect so like, a comic book in the Joel game. Joel is like picking up comic books for Ellie in the That's game. That's dope. That is so cool. <laughs> I had no idea. 
That's awesome. Anyway, subs- please, please, please. Um, it's really important. Um, if, if, you know, check out their, their feed as well, because we're part of their network and we're, we're working together with them on stuff. And then depending on the volume of feedback they're going to, uh, they get, um, they may be doing a, a standalone feedback episode on Thursdays. John, what do we have left for Kaleidoscope? We've got three episodes left. So we've done five out of the eight episodes. We've siloed all the spoilers from the other episodes since it's a random order kind of thing. Pink, red, and white are the episodes we have left. On the white episode, we're going to do all the feedback we get, and we're going to do full spoilers on the season since that's the last episode for everybody. Um, That'll drop Saturday, January 28th is our last episode. And uh, we're doing them Tuesday and Saturday now. We were doing them Wednesdays, but since we're doing The Last of Us now, that's our Wednesday show. Right. We also have Silmarillion stories, which will be out on Monday the 30th. We're doing Of the Beginning of Days and Of Ale and Yavanna. So get feedback into LOTR at thelorehounds.com if you want to give feedback on that. And on Friday, February 3rd, we'll have a Star Wars episode out with our thoughts on the first five episodes of The Bad Batch Season 2, along with news about upcoming show coverage and general chit-chat. We've got stuff in the pipeline for um, later this year. And as we get those details confirmed and sort of locked in, we'll let you guys know. Probably on the Silmarillion and uh, Star Wars uh, podcast, we'll be starting to talk about those upcoming shows. Oh, should we mention our guest appearance on the Tolkien? Yeah, yeah. Uh, So we're going to be on, I'm not sure when it's coming out, but we're going to be on uh, That's What I'm Talking About. (laughs) <laughs> That's a Which funny is title. such a fun name, yeah. Yeah. With Mary Clay, uh, who runs a podcast where they're reading different parts of the Tolkien universe for the first time. And we went on to chat about the uh, Lord of the Rings Appendix A, the story of Arwen and Aragorn, and then the history of Rohan. That was a really fun conversation. So I hope everybody will check that out when that comes out. But if you want to subscribe to her feed, it is That's What I'm Talking About. Search it wherever you get your podcasts. There's so much in the appendices that are overlooked. Uh, and the, one of the stories that we talked about, the Arwen and Aragorn story, so deep, adds, added so much to my understanding of, um, of the main uh, War of the Rings story. So um, yeah, definitely check that out. Also, we should mention we're recording an episode with Maester Anthony for Electric Bukaloo, uh on his read-through of The Clash of Kings. We're doing a Theon-related uh, chapter, and uh, we don't have a release date for that yet, but we're, we've got a recording date on that. So listen for that in upcoming show notes. Very cool. We are busy guys this month. We, we are very busy guys. for it, <laughs> but it happened. It happened. It seems to happen every month. Every month yeah. we're like, yeah, you know, next month we really got to take it easy because we're going hard this month. And then we're like, yeah, but we want to talk about this. <laughs> For part-time podcasters, we're uh, we're definitely in <laughs> we're in it all the way. Definitely. Final special shout out and huge thanks to Lay Zoomer from the Bald Move Discord, who did our custom artwork, who did basically all the custom artwork for uh, the Last of Us um, on our Discord, and was kind enough to put together some graphics for us for our podcast. So thank you, Lay. We uh, really appreciate all you do for our community. Well, yes. Thank you, Lay. Really big help. All right. I think that's all for today. We will see you next week. And thank you for listening. The Lorehounds podcast is produced by the Lorehounds and published by Bald Move. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. And connect with us on Twitter at thelorehounds. 
Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>